from Kurtco Media. If you've ever dreamed about going to the Galapagos, you are going to want to hear from Ecuador's very own Santiago Dunn. He's a luxury cruise pioneer, conservationist, and all-around expert on one of the world's epic wildlife destinations. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the absolutely fascinating people who make them possible. Now, when we talk about meaningful travel experiences, there are a handful of those that fall into what I would call the category of like, you know, dream trips or, or bucket list destinations, whatever you want to call them. Things like an African safari or Machu Picchu or Taj Mahal, you know, trips, places that just about everybody dreams of doing or seeing for themselves at some point. But I feel like a lot of the time, the expectations for these types of trips are, are so high that the actual experience can't live up to them. I know that's happened to me before, certainly where, where I'd heard so much about a place and, and anticipated my visit so much that when I was actually there, it was it was kind of a letdown. I would actually I would put Machu Picchu in that category. Now, Peru is one of my absolute favorite countries on earth, but the actual Machu Picchu experience I, I wasn't that crazy about. Now, I gotta say, I was kind of worried that the same thing was gonna happen when I went to the Galapagos for the first time earlier this year. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I am a huge wildlife lover. I, I love safaris. And the Galapagos is kind of, you know, right there with with the safari, right? It's it's like I'd say those are are really the the big two when it comes to wildlife travel. The good news is that in this case, I turned out to be very, very wrong. The Galapagos blew me away. It was honestly, it was one of those, you know, dream trips that not only lived up to expectations, but actually was was way better than I had, had even imagined. So my trip, it was a week-long cruise on a on a 20-passenger yacht called Theory. It's it's the company's EcoVentura. It was actually a really active experience. Another thing I wasn't necessarily expecting. It was, you know, we were snorkeling at least once a day, sometimes in, you know, pretty challenging conditions. You're hiking, paddleboarding, kayaking. We weren't just, you know, sitting there watching the wildlife. We were actually in the water with them or or walking on the islands with them. And of course, that that wildlife is the the main attraction in the Galapagos, and and it is every bit as amazing as you would expect. Swimming with sea lions, swimming with penguins is as cool as you'd think. Sharks, so many of those. Now, good news for all those animals, the president of Ecuador just signed a new bill that will greatly expand the protections for all of them and the incredible archipelago that they call home. We're going to talk about all of this with my guest today. His name is Santiago Don. He's an Ecuadorian entrepreneur and the CEO of EcoVentura, and he's been traveling and working in the Galapagos for pretty much his entire life. Now, I got to interview Santiago on Board Theory near the beginning of my trip, and, and his passion for the destination was contagious. Not that, like, you know, I didn't need much convincing at this point, but he is a fascinating guy. He's an inspiring advocate for the Galapagos, so much so that after hearing from him today, you will be ready to make this dream trip a reality. Santiago Dunn, 
Welcome to Travel That Matters. Thank you so much for joining us today in such a spectacular location. Can you start by telling everyone where we are right now? Thank you, Bruce. We are floating at anchor uh, in the Galapagos Islands. For you guys that don't know where that is, the Galapagos Islands is an archipelago west of uh, mainland Ecuador, around 600 nautical miles, 1,000 kilometers uh, from uh, Ecuador. And we are right now on board of the Theory, one of the yachts of Ecoventura. And we are off of Española Island, I believe. What's what's special about Española Island in particular? Like what, what, what are some of the great things to see here? Uh, Española is the most southeastern island, so the oldest island of archipelago. So it, it used to be a volcano. We had a nice walk this morning. It was a flat walk. So imagine the, the volcano has been eroded by the wind. It's great because here we have waved albatross, which we were lucky to see uh, among the last ones before they start migrating to the south. You have huge colonies of marine iguanas. And as you saw, they are on mating time. So their black marine iguanas are turning into, ye- into, into colorfuls, bright greens and reds. That's when they're ready to, to start their mating season. So it's what sometimes uh, the guides would call them uh, Christmas marine iguanas. <laughs> Very green and red indeed. Fascinating to see those. I can't wait to see them in the water as well. We're obviously going to talk a lot about the wildlife here and all the fantastic things you can do. Tell me how you got into this business, into this line of work. But and was there a moment on a trip to the Galapagos or something that you just kind of decided, like, this is what I want to do with my life? There were a couple of moments, actually. I was lucky enough to spend uh, school breaks in the Galapagos uh, in the early 80s. My folks would come here. My parents had businesses that, uh, that link him to Galapagos. So we would come and spend maybe weeks or months with the cousins and walk barefoot on white sanded streets then, where the electricity was shut off originally at 8 p.m. Then, uh, then we were lucky and it was at midnight. So I was in love in Galapagos since I was uh, like your daughter, Bruce. Uh, so 10 years old was my first interaction with Galapagos. Later, my family entered the tourism business. And when I was on board on one of those trips, uh, when I was uh, still a teenager, I could see the people's faces changing. And I thought this is a great experience. When you come to Galapagos, you sell an experience, you sell memories. You don't, people don't take anything away from, uh, from the Galapagos. So I saw the faces, their changes, and I said, whoa, this would be great to work here. And uh, here I am. And every time I come, I'm, I'm out there, I'm, I'm, I'm outside and I'm playing, I'm in the water, I'm with animals. It, it's, it's amazing. You brought up a couple of things there. Number one, you know, the, the change in people and the, the impact that this has. You also brought up that I'm here with my 10-year-old daughter and my, and my 20-year-old daughter, and you have four sons. You, they've obviously been coming here like you did from a very young age. How, how have you seen that shape them and, and kind of the impact that it's had on, on the kids? Because I think that's a huge part of this, this type of experience, yeah? Well, Galapagos is definitely a destination for kids, all ages. I consider myself a kid, but my kids have been lucky to join me or to come with friends through the years. And uh, this is uh, a laboratory of evolution. The truth is they've seen and they've been able to relate, as everybody does, that this is a survival of the fittest. And they have to overcome personal issues, personal matters, school matters, uh, and it's uh, and this marks them for life. Because when they walk on the islands, on the hikes with our naturalists, they are engaged, they ask. 
so it's not that they come here to take notes and go to the biology class. It's it's, it's they relate to nature. And that's a huge part of it, actually. You brought up the, the the guides and and the naturalist and the. I mean, this is a learning trip, right? You are going to learn. You're not just kind of taking care of guests like at a you know beach resort where you just have to make sure they're happy and like you're educating people. So tell us a little bit about what goes into being a, a Galapagos guide and, and why that's important for for the guests or you know how that impacts them. The Galapagos National Guides are our hosts during our walks on the islands. The park requires one guide per 16. We try to keep smaller groups than that. The, the biggest group you'll ever be on Ecoventura is be one per 10, making this more exclusive. And we don't want to make this like a class. The guides that are, are trained by the Galapagos National Park, you have some of them that have a few titles. Uh, we have everything from ornithologists, biologists, photographers. Some of them are born in Galapagos. Some of them have moved to Galapagos. But what we trust them the most is is to be able to hold your hand during your visit and, and, and have that not only empathy, because sometimes you have passengers that come here because it's, it's their last wish to be on, on a site like this. Some of them, it's on their bucket list. But the guides have to take you through that journey and, and make this a memorable experience. What about with the wildlife? So for you, I mean, you've, you've been here a lot as a as, for work, but but also you are someone who's very. I know you're active with the World Wildlife Foundation, with with the Darwin Foundation, with the Rainforest Alliance, and and so on and so forth. What wildlife experiences stand out for you that you've you've had here in the Galapagos? My favorite species might be the sea lion because they're so playful. By the way, I love dogs, so a sea lion is a, is a water dog. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry if, if I offend any sea lions listening to us. I love sea lions. They play with you. You have to be careful not to approach too much because you might get a bull sea lion uh, being very territorialistic. But I do admire what, what Darwin wrote about the survival of the fittest. Here you have marine iguanas that came, which were re the regular land iguanas that we see in the continent maybe came on top of uh, drifting after rain on top of logs and they had to get themselves acquainted with the environment and start going to the water to feed themselves because there was no moist, there was no water, there was no dry water, there was no cactuses or, or fruits. So they had to jump in the water. So marine iguanas do surprise me every time. And, and we've heard stories when we had a, a Nino event when the water gets warmer and there's not enough food they start shrinking in size to protect themselves for starvation and from dying. Also, the flightless cormorants, a lazy bird that forgot to fly and start losing the feathers because it was easier to walk to the water, put their beak in the water, and get food. So why fly? So that, that for sure, it's amazing. Or penguins, penguins north of the equator. And they actually fly, but they fly underwater. So if you're snorkeling in Galapagos and you get to see penguins, it's like you better be uh, looking for them because they can fly in front of you in seconds. It's amazing. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. The, the sea lions and the penguins and the marine iguanas. And I will say like now that I've seen a marine iguana in the water and on the land, I know what Godzilla was, was, was modeled after. No question, no question <laughs> about it. The, you know, speaking of the wildlife, Unlike a lot, you know, a lot of safari destinations during the pandemic with the, with the shutdown in tourism has had a negative impact on, on wildlife and that a lot of the funding for, you know, rangers, anti-poaching units, so on and so forth, helping support these communities has dried up during the pandemic. It seems like the Galapagos has actually done a pretty good job 
keeping the conservation going throughout the pandemic. What what have you seen? And then like, is it going well, better, worse? How how, how is that working? Well, Bruce, the, the pandemic did hit us hard. Ecuador was closed in March 2020 until July 2020. The economy of Galapagos was affected uh, big time. 85% to 90% of the economy in Galapagos depends on tourism. So we saw a lot of our suppliers that only did uh, cherry tomatoes for us and for other operators uh, go under. It was tough. So the economy suffered and therefore tourists uh, on their uh, entrance fee support the park. So yes, conservation was threatened, as a matter of fact. I'm glad that Ecuador and Galapagos has recovered fast. We're very thankful that we have resilient travelers. Was there an increase in poaching and has that waned now or, or what, what have you seen? I think we had so much downtime uh, as a world that we, we finally put some attention to things like illegal fishing. And we have heard that for years in Ecuador. Of these 300 fleet of international flag vessels shipping on the waters of Galapagos or around Galapagos. That caught the attention of the world. The current uh, government uh, led by President Lasso just signed uh, two weeks ago the extension of the marine reserve. So that's creating a, a marine superhighway for, for protected species. So tell us a little bit about that. That, that. It was quite a big deal. I read about it. President, Ex-President Bill Clinton was, was on hand for the signing. Your new president, Lasso, just signed this bill protecting waters all the way up to Costa Rica and Panama. What, is it, what does that mean? I mean, it's, I, I don't know if it's the biggest marine reserve in the world now or, or what, but what does this mean for Galapagos wildlife? President Clinton mentioned that, uh, that Ecuador is giving a lesson to the world because Galapagos is owned by Ecuador, but we know that Galapagos belongs to the world. So even though Ecuador is a third world country, there was a political decision to protect and make non-extractive areas. And that goes against big uh, interest, industrial interest. And that's going to allow Galapagos to remain as a living laboratory of the world. That's one of the things that has really struck me in just a couple of days that I've been on this boat is just how pristine this place really is. And that is a credit to the Ecuadorian government and, and to everyone who works to protect it. But it is amazing of course the wildlife is is mind-blowing and, and the scenery and everything but to be on these beaches or in this water and to not see any trash and no sign of human kind of impact really at all i can't really think of it <laughs> anywhere else on earth that i've really seen anything that is so well protected and is that is that throughout the islands is that is that the way it's kind of been for a long time or is that or have you seen a change well, Galapagos must be the best preserved uh, national park in the world. We have people from other parts, other parts in the world to come and use Galapagos as a study case. The Galapagos uh, National Park runs the park very technically and, uh, and, and hand in hand uh, with the Charles Darwin Station. That's why when we sell that trip, uh, which doesn't happen often, we say itineraries might change. It's because the park constantly is monitoring trails. If, if animals start moving away from trails, that means there's stress on the animals. The park might close that trail, open a different one, or close an island. So th th they are really good on, on conservation. And also, uh, the guides that are with you always on the islands tell you all the rules of the park from uh, basic things not to not to get too close to the to the species so the park is very good on that and and we keep repeating the only thing you can leave on the islands 
is footprints. That's it. That's why you've, you've found it uh, pristine. And, and that's why we want this to remain for generations to come. Well, and I now know this too because I always have, I've noticed quite a few good surf breaks since we've been cruising around the Galapagos. <laughs> and you informed me that uh, you're not even allowed to surf in most of those breaks because activities are limited in all these different different areas. And you know, it is that might sound confining, but as being on these islands and seeing how pristine they are, you really gain an appreciation for why there are so many rules and why you know probably ninety nine percent of the landmass here people aren't actually ever going on. Yes, the park is very jealous on what you do. Uh, our guests might have heard some noise. We were just moving because we have to be and the park controls that the tourist boats are on um, the morning side from 6 a.m. until noon and then from uh, 12.01 until 6 p.m. on the next site. They control cargo capacities on each site and they are very strict on that and also on the activities you can do. This afternoon, we'll be able to do kayaking, paddleboarding, and snorkeling, which we couldn't do this morning because it's not allowed. Same as you mentioned about surfing. You can surf, and they have great swells on basically on the, on the mainland, uh, mainland ports. Now, let me ask you that. Okay, so there you have a limited amount of time and limited activities in each of these locations. I'm guessing that means that a smaller boat cruise is, is advantageous because you have the same, do you have the same amount of time as a, as a larger cruise ship? My answer might sound biased because we do 20 passengers. <laughs> I, set, I set you up for a pretty good, pretty good answer right there. But yeah, I mean, there's only 20 passengers on the ship. 20 passengers on this, uh, on this expedition yacht. People tend to think uh, you're going to cruise in Galapagos. No, the, the biggest ship in Galapagos is 100 passengers. So I wouldn't consider that a cruise. But the difference between us, 20 passengers, that we do seven nights, Sundays to Sundays, guaranteed departures year-round, versus a 100-passenger ship, is that maybe that 100-passenger ship has six or seven groups of 16 passengers each. So so just leaving to the island and coming back, it's a process of 30 minutes. We jump on the Zodiacs. We have two Zodiacs here. So 10-10, when at 100% load factor, it's usually even more exclusive than that. And you are more time on uh, on the islands, which is what we've experienced. And, and, and you have the islands almost for yourself. So you don't feel you're rushed or crowded. We've had two groups this week. We barely see each other just when we're boarding the, the ship. So it's it's uh, on small ships like Coventura ships, you can spend more time and enjoy nature. And you have more downtime. It's easier to move. We get closer to the anchoring sites. So you spend more time with nature, which is what you come here for. Yes, you want to have a nice hardware uh, ship where you are right now, comfortable beds, great food. But hey, the truth is you come here for nature. You told me a story last night about you're a diver, a scuba diver. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> I haven't been on the water with a wetsuit because I don't fit on my wetsuits after the <laughs> pandemic. I need to lose weight to go diving for seconds. But the uh, the diving in the Galapagos, I imagine, is pretty incredible. I've seen some of the footage of these massive you know, schools of hammerhead sharks swimming above you. Tell us a little bit about the, the shark dives that you've done here and, and what that what that's like. If you are a serious diver, Galapagos is heaven. It, it, it has always been voted uh, as a top destination on the, on the Pacific for big pelagics. And you hear people coming to our dive boat. Uh, our fourth uh, liveaboard is a dive liveaboard, 16 passengers. And we go every week of the year to Darwin and Wolf, which are the most northeastern islands of the archipelago. They are 90 miles away from the northern tip of Isabela. If, if you see yourself on a map, 
Galapagos is a volcanic island. The biggest island on the center that looks like a water horse. Seahorse. Seahorse. No, it's in the northwest. So, so you go there for hardcore diving. And when we say hardcore diving, so that you have to be an expert, a hundred dives under the belt, but it's to feel confident on diving with a wetsuit, neoprene, basically, and, and, and with currents. And with a lot of sharks. You get bored of uh, foreseen sharks. <laughs> Sometimes you are, at, and, and, and everything happens between 60 feet. Uh, so you don't really have to go up to the 100 feet, which is usually maximum depth that would take you. But I, I've been in Galapagos seeing a group that is at 80 feet or I'm at 50 feet, just looking at them under me. And then it's like you feel when you're in the city and a big cloud sits on top of you. And suddenly it's, it's, it's noon. And apparently it seems like it's 6 p.m. already. You turn or turn up, look to what's going on, and you see a highway of hammerheads passing and passing and passing. That's amazing. Also, from, from June through November, it's what we call the whale shark season. I've heard stories from people that go to, 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 uh, to Africa, to go to Australia, to go to Mexico, of the coast of California to see whale sharks, and they couldn't see them. And they come to Galapagos because it's, it, it's almost guaranteed that you will see a whale shark. And what President Lasso did on that corridor for you to get physically located is, is Darwin and Wolf, which are our most northwestern islands, connect underwater with Cocos and Malpelo in Costa Rica and Colombia. So the sharks migrate on this triangle and the whale sharks come here to give birth and they go there to mate. So you, this is an underwater highway. So when you are in, in Darwin and Wolf, you don't get to see one well, shark, that it's the size of a school bus in the States, and you think they're going to run over you, and it's two, three, four. So you see schools of well sharks. Okay, but you did see one shark that actually might have uh, chewed you up. Tell me, tell uh, me about I, that. I think that's, not a, that's not what we sell, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't a boys' trip with, with industry friends. Uh, some press and some uh, hardcore divers, and we were returning from the, from the Western, from Darwin and Wolf, in the night, this is this is coming back against currents. We were we were sort of bored actually, and someone had this idea, which I thought it was fun. Then, can we ask the captain to stop the engines? Middle of the ocean, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. We weren't actually talking. We were doing something else, by the way. So don't don't do this at home, please. <laughs> but but someone said let's let's just throw the anchor. So we had 90 meters of anchor. Of course, the depth might be a couple of thousand meters or feet uh, where we were, and we geared up, lights, strobes, and we went down the anchor, holding the anchor. As we were, some people were at 40, some were at 50, some were at 60. I don't know where I was. I shouldn't have been there, Bruce, as a matter of fact. I should have stayed on, 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 on top of the boat. Then you're looking and you don't see anything. It's pitch black, and, and your, your strobe or your lights might give you two meters, a meter of, of, of clarity, if that's the case. And then I felt like a, like a plane flying next to me. Uh, and then another one. And someone that was under me started pushing me up. And, and they knew what it was. I didn't. So I went, we all went up. And then we, they told me, did you see that? Oh, my God. I'm like, it was a fish. No, it was not a fish. That's, that's, an, uh, that's a wide tip oceanic shark. I said, so? You don't want to be in the water with them. So come on. So th there you go. I shouldn't have been there. I told you that yesterday. I shouldn't have been in the water. 
the only reason why they don't eat more people than any other species is because they're so deep in you know in the ocean that they don't come into contact. Otherwise, oh, I have heard I, that I, they I, would be the most aggressive shark. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back to your Santiago's tips on how to plan the perfect adventure in the Galapagos. Close your eyes and picture this. A new year of exploration with Qatar Airways. 2024 is not just another year. It's your canvas on which to paint memories around the globe. From the bustling streets of Thailand to the untamed beauty of Nairobi, the urban elegance of Singapore, and the peaceful shores of Bali, our world is rich with destinations waiting to be discovered. Every journey tells a story, and with over 170 destinations in our network, your story is just waiting to unfold. Planning your next chapter is simple with our intuitive website and mobile app. And rest assured, the price you see is the price you pay. No hidden fees. Where will your story take you next? Begin at QatarAirways.com. That's Q-A-T-A-R Airways.com. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs, we hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you, and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Welcome back to my chat with EcoVentura CEO Santiago Dunn. Back to that concept of, of this being kind of a once in a lifetime, a last wish type of trip. Are you seeing, you know, we've heard a lot of talk recently about how the pandemic has kind of made people start pulling the trigger on these types of big ticket trips, you know, things that they've been dreaming about forever, but then putting off, putting off, putting off. You know, the pandemic has prompted a lot of people to say, you know what, I'm going to do it now. It's it's time. I'm not going to put this off anymore because you never know what's around the corner or so on and so forth. Are you seeing that? I mean, right now is a tough time to travel, but are you seeing people booking farther out and, and pulling the trigger on this trip they've been dreaming about? You know, Galapagos is not really a last minute trip decision. What we've seen is, is uh, people traveling to Galapagos, going up on their bucket list, this is a water safari, so we compete with Africa. We don't compete with other. We compete with Africa, maybe with uh, with the cloud forest destinations, Costa Rica beaches. So we've gone up on the bucket list. We've also seen people travel, and ironically, and and I have to thank the passengers in 2021 and 2020 because some of them, even though we've been moving from uh, from pandemic to endemic COVID, uh, which I hope it ends uh, in the in the next months, you had resilient travelers saying, I want to go to Galapagos because I want to be there almost alone. And that's what you've, they've experienced. So they, they, already they have the, the advantage of being close to nature, but always without passengers, which is breathtaking. 
you've lived in Ecuador, you're Ecuadorian, you, you, you're not from the Galapagos, obviously, but what, what else, when people come to Ecuador to, to go to the Galapagos, where, where else do you, you know, you probably believe firmly that they should also go, you know, see some other parts of your, of your wonderful country. You're right. Ecuador is a destination itself. It's unfair only to bring you to Galapagos. We try to see if you have time because we sell you a seven night trip, a Sunday to Sunday departure on Ecoventura Yachts. But if, if you tell us that you don't have time, that you want to do in and out Galapagos, we'll tell you, okay, fly on a Saturday night to Guayaquil, coastal city, sea level. There are great properties there. We team up with a Relay Chateau property called Hotel del Parque. You arrive on a Saturday night, and, and in the morning of Sunday, the flights do Quito, Guayaquil, Galapagos. So you sleep later. You jump on the same flight that maybe other tourists are coming from Quito, and you board our ship on Sunday. Next Sunday, you depart to Guayaquil, where you could connect the same night to the States or afternoon to Europe. So you could do it all in about nine days total from the States. If you are in New York, you leave uh, your house on Saturday afternoon. You are here on Saturday night. And then on the way back, you are at six in the morning in New York on Monday. So it's a week out of your office if you are limited with time. But we do strongly recommend that, if, that, that you should have a taste of Ecuador. So if you let us tailor-made your trip, which we can, we would suggest you to arrive Wednesday or Thursday to Quito, which is an UNESCO patrimonial city. Stay in the old colonial uh, town for maybe two nights. Saturday, we would take you outside of Quito to an hacienda, sleep Saturday there. And on the way, and you jump on the flight, which is Quito, Guayaquil, Galapagos. Join the passengers that were sleeping from the night before in Guayaquil. So we would recommend you to see Quito, Guayaquil. Cuenca is an upcoming beautiful city. And we have great rainforest in, in, in Ecuador, too. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to explore, a lot to come back for, for sure. One, one, one thing, Bruce, that people tend to combine, and I think it's unfair. They say, I'm going to Galapagos. I want to continue to Peru. I think uh, Machu Picchu or Cusco. I th- I, I think, <laughs> That's too many bucket lists yes, on the same I, trip. I, I think it's unfair to combine Ecuador with Peru. Both deserve their own time and pace. And you've been in Peru. You told me you've been in the Amazon in Peru. And it's unfair to give the two countries maybe three, four nights. You should do two bucket list trips, as you mentioned. You know, that's actually interesting. I, I strongly believe that that's one of the ways that the pandemic is, is going to change our, our travel habits going forward. First of all, currently, having been to Europe recently, I quickly realized enough of uh, the, you know, trying to do four, five different countries on the same trip to Europe. It's because it's right now, it's kind of a hassle to different regulations and different cards and QR codes that you have to have and everything. But there's also this appreciation. I'm like, well, slow down. Enjoy the place. If you're going to Spain, go to Spain. Enjoy Spain no, and, and, yes. and see the country. And the same thing. I, I totally agree with Peru and Ecuador. It's way too much to do in one. And look, I also understand if you feel like this is you're only going to be here once and you want to see Machu Picchu and want to see the Galapagos. Okay, I get it. But right now, I do think attitudes have changed a little bit. It's like dig a little deeper, get, you know, stay a little longer in one place and really get to know it and explore the places that, that deserve to be explored. We only sell seven nights, as I've mentioned like three times before. And people say, Jesus, that's too long. You know, is it repetitive? Will I get bored? I want to do this in three nights. Uh, And then we've had cases when people have chartered a ship and they say, well, I'm going to be only three nights or four nights, pay for the seven nights. 
And then they complain saying, you should have told me to stay the seven nights. It's, it's everything. It's different. One morning you wake up in a white beach sand. The next morning it's, it's almost dark green. The species are different. That's, a, that's why we tell you to stay seven nights. It's non-repetitive. <laughs> This is like the Ford model, you know, any I'm, color. I'm ready to sign on for next week's, uh, <laughs> the, the loop in EcoVentura does, you know, two different routes, one seven night through the, what, southeast? And we do, we do, another this one week we the do west. A, which is okay. central and southern, uh-huh. and the next week we do B, northern and western. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm ready to stay on for B already. More than welcome, you know, I should stay, it's a shame I cannot stay both weeks, you know, I have to take care of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Santiago, great stories, great destination. How, how could you not working in the Galapagos as you do? So thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on and, and a pleasure to be here in the Galapagos with you. No, Bruce, thank you. And thanks, thanks to all of us that are listening. I think you should put Galapagos in, in your list. And, and if you want, you can come with us. There are plenty of other operators. We think we're the best, of course, but but yeah, if, if you want to come with us, please, we will be welcoming here with open arms and you will see that what Bruce told you, it's, 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 it's accurate. It's, 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 here we, we know it's a trip of our lifetime and we hope we can fulfill your, your expectations. And, and on that note, we, I think we have some snorkeling to do right now, so let's get to it. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. Talking to Santiago on that boat, it was our third of seven days, and I'll just say that that trip got better and better from there. You know, he mentioned the size of EcoVentura's boats and how that gives you a you know a little more flexibility in, in what you do and when you do it. Keep in mind, of course, that this is the Galapagos still, and it's it's it is very regulated. But you know, obviously, when you have a twenty passenger boat and you have four hours in a in a designated spot to to snorkel or whatever it is. It's a different experience than if you're on a hundred passenger boat in that same spot in that same kind of time frame. So, you know, it also, as he he said as well, it, it gives you a little more flexibility on how you interact with with the wildlife, which of course is the the highlight of these trips. And we had one encounter, I've talked about it before on a previous show. We were in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden surrounded by hundreds of dolphins. It was a magical sight. I mean, they were just, you know, jumping all around us, playing mothers, babies, everything. But what made it even better is that like our crew was able to immediately drop two expedition boats in the water. We jumped in and then we're like chasing the dolphin. Well, I shouldn't say chase. <laughs> we're cruising along with the dolphins at their level our first mate, she was she was at the front of the boat. She had a GoPro and she was like dipping it in the water, filming these incredible animals underwater, above water, jumping. It was magical. That ability to be spontaneous, spur of the moment, and the fact that our crew was able to react to to kind of this gift that nature nature brought us. Now, I can't say for certainty, but I I just don't think that happens or or happens quite so easily with a bigger ship. Another thing that I personally like about smaller ships is that you can really form a special bond with your fellow passengers. You know, in our case, it was it was seven days and it was a very strong bond of, of sharing this experience. It's, you know, it's hard to explain to other people. It's hard to replicate anywhere else. There were 12 of us on board theory that week. And, and let's just say we are already planning our return trip to the Galapagos in 2024. So my point for the Galapagos, a smaller boat is the way to go. And to Sharon, Alan, Melanie, Dan, Caitlin, Pam, Farhad, Anna, Alyssa, Natalie, and of course, Santiago, I will see you in a couple of years on Itinerary Beach. 
We'd like to thank Santiago Dunn for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on EcoVentura and their trips to the Galapagos, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. This show is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Assistance by Monica Kelly, music by Joey Salvia, and hosted by me, Bruce Wallen. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you down the road. 